welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Covenant Grace. We're back in our series in Exodus. The the series is called Free to Follow. And I want to just catch you up with where we are in the book of Exodus. So the Israelites had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They were kept as slaves. They were brutally treated by the Egyptians. Then God sends Moses to deliver them from that bondage. And of course, at first, Pharaoh doesn't listen. He refuses to let the people go. And so God sends a series of 10 plagues on the nation. The last of those plagues was a plague of the death of the firstborn, that he would go through Egypt and he would kill all of the firstborn men and boys of the nation. And before he did that final plague, the death of the firstborn, God sent a message to his people. He said, kill a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it on your doorposts, And when I come through to judge the people, I will pass over your house, meaning I will not bring judgment on your house if I see that blood. And that's why Passover is called Passover, is that God passed over the Jews' homes because they had the blood of the lamb, and he didn't judge their homes because of that blood. And so that plague, that plague of the death of the firstborn, was the one that made Pharaoh let the people go. And so he lets the Israelites go, and Moses leads the people out of Egypt following God. And what's interesting in chapter 12 is it says that they took with them anybody that wanted to go. So it wasn't just the Jews that were able to go. In in chapter 12, it says a mixed multitude went with them. So anyone that wanted to put their trust in the God of the Jews was allowed to go with them. Now we're in that passage, Exodus 14, it's the crossing of the Red Sea. And the first thing I want you to see in that passage is that God gives his people more than they can handle. God gives his people more than they can handle. And I know when I say that, the first thing you think of is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so that seems to say that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. But um, certainly Paul doesn't mean that God never gives us more than we can handle in our own strength, right? God is continually giving us more than we can handle in in our own strength. That passage tells us that God never gives us more than we can handle with his help relying on his power. Amen. And so that's what we see in Exodus 14 is God actually is giving them more than they can handle to teach them to rely on God's power. And so God leads them into this situation, a situation they can't handle in Exodus 14. And what's kind of funny is the chapter before, it says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And so that says, you know, he didn't want them to immediately encounter warfare with the Philistines because he didn't want them to just get discouraged and return to Egypt. And, and you, you read that and you're like, oh, that's nice. God wants to make it easy on them. He doesn't want to make it too hard. But what's funny is in our chapter, he actually makes their position much worse. He has them in camp right along the Red Sea. And we see that in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. He has them camp along the Red Sea, which actually puts them at a huge military disadvantage. They're actually making themselves trapped there in that, in that spot. And then God sicks the, the Egyptians on them. Look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we've done? 
We have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariots and took his army and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. So yeah, God has given them more than they can handle. He's got them backed up against the sea. He's got them surrounded by these Egyptians and all their chariots and army and everything. He's got them trapped. And I just want to ask you this morning, um, do any of you relate to that? (laughs) Do any of you relate to the feeling of being backed up against the sea and surrounded? Do any of you feel trapped in an impossible situation? And I think if we think about, you know, the various difficulties we're encountering during this particular time with the stay-at-home order and all the other things that are going with it, businesses being shut down and all the difficulties we're encountering, I imagine a lot of you actually can relate to this feeling. Maybe you're being um, kind of forced to do more as far as your kids' schooling goes, your kids, you know, entertaining them at home while you're stuck in your house. Uh, Maybe the difficulties you're dealing with in your business and your work and your finances, um, the difficulties you're dealing with with just taking care of the normal things of everyday life. But do you relate to this? Do you feel like you've been backed up against the sea? Do you feel surrounded? Do you feel trapped in an impossible situation? And you might ask yourself, like, why does the Lord do those kinds of things? Why does he put us in those places in the first place? And we can see why he did it here. And there's, I want to give you two reasons that he did it here. One was to expose the slavery in their hearts. Take a look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said while we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Um, This is a part of a theme in Exodus, a theme of grumbling. And one thing I just want to take a little break out here and just say, watch out for grumbling. Um, Our sports, our sports that we enjoy as a nation have been taken away during this time. And what I fear is that we've replaced uh, it with grumbling. (laughs) Grumbling has become our new national sport, if it wasn't already. And I just want to warn you guys against grumbling. Because grumbling is something we've been commanded not to do. And grumbling really ruins our witness. Um, If you take a look at Philippians 2.14, it says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then listen to why. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you will shine as lights in the world. Isn't that amazing? That by not grumbling and being people that are thankful and look for what God is doing and the good things in, in a situation, you actually will shine as lights in the world. And one of my fears is that us as Christians, we get kind of caught up in the whole grumbling culture that we've got going on right now, and we'll lose our witness. And so you want to shine as lights, and one of the ways you do it is by being thankful, grateful people. But guys, their grumbling isn't even true, which is great. Um, They did not say when they were back in Egypt, they said this, they go, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? And they said this, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. They actually never did say that. Go back and look through Exodus and you will not find those words. They were actually very excited to leave Egypt 
And it is also is not true that they are better officers than the Egyptians. And so we're going to see more of this theme, but their grumbling isn't even true. And look, guys, at how they fear their Egyptian masters that they've been freed from. Because, guys, they've been freed physically from the Egyptians, but they clearly have not been freed yet in their hearts. Amen? They still are clearly slaves within their hearts. Their hearts are enslavement is actually being exposed in this situation. And that's the first thing he's doing here is he's exposing the slavery in our hearts. Because, guys, it's a, it was a lot easier to take them out of Egypt than to take Egypt out of them. Right? It was a lot easier to take the Jews out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of the Jews. And this text, guys, shows us why we sin. Why do we sin? Well, one of the reasons why we sin as believers, as those who have already been freed from our former masters, is because we have forgotten that we've been set free from our old masters, and we fear what will happen if we don't continue to serve them. So we've, been, we've forgotten we've been freed, and then we fear what we're going to lose if we no longer serve them. Uh, you may have had a previous master. Um, you may have been a slave to pornography. You may have been a slave to maybe human approval or to money or to, you know, however you get a sense of security. Um, you may have been enslaved to lust, uh, to your looks. You may have been enslaved to your career or maybe even an addiction or maybe even just your own sense of controlling things. I mean, we get, can be enslaved to a variety of things and we sin because we're following a different master than God. Your old master the one you've been set free from, will not want to lose your services, will it? They will pursue you like the masters in this text are pursuing the Jews. And what will happen is, is that we will fear what we'll lose if we don't serve them. That's what's happening here. Um, a, greater, a great way, guys, to know what your master is, what your true master is, is what you fear. Follow your fears and you'll know exactly the master that you serve. Your fear shows your true master. And what's neat is at the end of this text, it says they feared the Lord, right? Their master was the Lord as it should be. Um, we sin when we forget that we've been set free from our old masters and fear what will happen if we stop serving them. And that's what happened here. God's exposing the slavery in their hearts. He's got him backed up to the sea to do that. He's also got him backed up to the sea and surrounded to show how good he is. God wants to show us how good he is. He wants to not only show us our, our slavery and our masters so we can be freed from those, but he also wants to show us how good he is. He wants us to see and be satisfied with him. And that's what repentance and faith is. Repentance is seeing that slavery and, and being set free from it. And, and uh, faith is to see and be satisfied in him. That's faith and repentance. And that's what happened here. In Exodus 14, the Lord told Moses to lift up his staff and to stretch it out over the sea. And he did. And the sea divided. And, and it was a like a strong wind came, right? God sent a strong wind and it pushed back the sea and the sea was divided. And the people walked through on dry ground. And it says, guys, that as they walked through on dry ground, not mushy ground, dry ground, they're walking through on completely dry ground, which is miraculous. They're seeing the walls of the sea. They're seeing it as walls around them. They're seeing the edges of the sea as walls. Can you imagine you're walking through this dry path and on both sides, there's the sea and it's just like a wall next to you. It'd be amazing. Can you imagine that? Would you want to kind of reach in or touch it or something like that? Or would you just be so afraid that you just be kind of get through as quick as possible? 
When the Egyptians went in after them, the Lord threw them into a panic and then they clogged their chariot wheels and they get upset and they realize something terrible has gone wrong. And the Egyptians say this, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. It took them a little while to realize this. They've already been through 10 plagues and you know they've got this dry land with these walls in the sea. And finally they're like, you know what? We should probably stop. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back on the Egyptians. And so Moses puts his hand back over the sea and the sea closes up on them and drowns them. Drowns all of their enemies that day. And in verse 31, it says, Israel saw the great power of the Lord that he used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then if you take a look at chapter 15, it's a whole chapter of them singing and dancing and enjoying the God who saved them. And, um, and so what, what should we do, guys? What should we do when we feel backed up against the sea, when we feel trapped, when we feel surrounded, when we feel kind of hear our old slave masters calling back to us? Well, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God calls us to look back to the Exodus. We can endure hardship when we remember and rejoice in God's Exodus. That's what the Passover was all about, right? The Jews have continued to practice the Passover since it happened thousands of years ago to this day. And it's all a way of looking back on the Exodus, looking back on God's great deliverance of them. And they would be able to endure hardships as they look back on how God had given them that great exodus. And guys, the New Testament too tells us to look back on the exodus, but the New Testament gives us a greater exodus to look back on. And I just want to show you the ways in which this exodus, this crossing of the Red Sea, points to the greater exodus that we have in the gospel. The gospel, guys, like this exodus, started with an impossible problem. So they were an impossible problem, right? So here they are against the Red Sea. To the west of them is slavery and condemnation and death, right? They were slaves back there. They want to be re-enslaved or the people want to re-enslave them. They were condemned because they were runaway slaves. They were condemned before the, the, the rulers of Egypt. So there's slavery, there's condemnation. And if there is an enslavement, there's certainly death. So slavery, condemnation, and death. That's what we had, guys, before we had Jesus Christ. Before we trusted in Jesus Christ, we had slavery and condemnation and death. And so that's to the west. To the east, there's freedom, no condemnation, life, right? That's what we want. Freedom, no condemnation, life. And in between slavery, condemnation, and death, and uh, freedom, no condemnation, and life is the sea, the sea is what's between us. And in Old Testament Jewish thinking, guys, the sea represented God's wrath. So there's no way of crossing. So here we are stuck between slavery and condemnation and death. And on the other side of us is the judgment of God. And we have no way of reaching um, a place of freedom and life and forgiveness. Right? No way to cross. So the gospel, like the Exodus, started with an impossible problem. Secondly, the gospel, like the Exodus, is simply crossing over by grace. Take a look at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you will never see again, for the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Guys, in the gospel, you simply cross over. You cross over from, from that west side to the east side. And you cross over instantaneously by grace for free. 
It's a simple crossing over. That's what the gospel is about. The Exodus is a great example of what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved is to cross over, to cross over from the west of condemnation and death and slavery and to cross over to the east side, no condemnation, life and freedom. And it's instantaneous, right? The, the sea parts and you cross right through. And you guys, you, if you're not a Christian this morning, you could cross right through this morning. Even right now as I talk, you could just cross right through. It's instantaneous. You're either on one side or the other. You're either on the west side or the east side. You're either in the place of life or you're in the place of death. You're in the, in the place of condemnation or no condemnation. You're either in the place of slavery or freedom. And you can cross over today. You're only on one side or the other. No one lives in the middle. No one lives in the middle of the sea, right? And this makes the gospel totally different than any man-made religion. Because salvation, guys, is not a process in the gospel. It's instantaneous. You instantaneously cross over from one side to the other. It, it's not a process. It's not like any religion. Religions are all about that. It's all about a process. Well, you do these things and eventually we'll see. The gospel, guys, is, is not a process. It's an instantaneous crossing over. Secondly, it's unearned. It's free, right? It's not something you earn yourself. It's free. And back in our text, be still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. So the way it works is this. You see what Christ has done for you. You want it. You take it. You cross over. It's instantaneous. If you're a Christian today, you have already crossed over. And you cross over the moment you believe. If you're a Christian today, you cross over instantaneously the moment you believe. See, listen to what Jesus says in John 5. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not might get it. Has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. A Christian is a person who has already passed from death to life through believing in Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, you can cross over right now before you do a single thing for God just by believing in Christ. And it's for everyone. Remember I talked about in Exodus 12? It wasn't just the Jews who crossed over. It was what they called a mixed multitude, which I guess is just a bunch of random people. Just like us, right? Any person, any person who trusts in Jesus can be saved instantaneously by believing in Jesus. So I just ask you, believe upon Jesus this morning, right? And guys, believe and cross the sea while the path is still open. There is right now dry ground for you to cross over to come to God today. There is a path for you, but there's a time coming when it's going to close. Just like the sea closed in this passage, there will be a time when that path is closed for you, when you can no longer trust in Jesus and be saved. As long as you're here, as long as you're alive, it's open. But when he returns or you die, it's closed. Come to him today while it's still open. The Bible says again and again, today is the day of salvation. It's not something you want to put off for later. You don't know. That path could be closed. It's open today. Just believe and cross over instantaneously for free. It's a gift. And your faith in Jesus doesn't even have to be strong. Because you might think, well, you know, I'm not sure if I believe enough yet. Guys, I'm certain that there were people that walked through on that dry land and saw the wall of water on both sides and thought it was the coolest thing ever. They were like, oh, this is so cool. And they're touching it and checking it out. Maybe they're walking through kind of slow because they want to kind of enjoy the whole thing, right? There were other people that were completely terrified, I'm sure. There were people that were terrified going through. But guys, no matter whether somebody went through completely confidently or completely terrified, either way, they made it to the other side. 
Because guys, we're not saved by the strength of our faith. We're saved by the strength of our Savior. Amen? We're not saved by the strength of our faith. We're saved by the strength of our Savior. Even a weak faith in a strong Savior, Jesus Christ, will save. And so the gospel is a picture. um, The Exodus is a picture of the gospel in those two ways. And one third one, the gospel, like the Exodus, is crossing over through a mediator. Now, this part's a little bit weedsy. It's a little bit complicated, so please focus. But Paul says a really interesting thing about the Exodus in 1 Corinthians 10. He says that the Israelites were baptized into Moses as they crossed the Red Sea. I'll read it for you. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 1. For I did not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So Paul's saying here is that when they crossed through the Red Sea, it was like a kind of baptism. And they were baptized not into Christ. They were being baptized into Moses. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, they kind of went with Moses into the water and they kind of went out with Moses, right? What does it mean, though, guys, that the Israelites were baptized into Moses? What does it mean to be baptized into him? Well, that day, guys, the Israelites became a new people. And they were a new people because they were connected to a new mediator, who is Moses, right? That day, they died to their old life on the other side of the sea, and they were born to a new life on the new side, on the other side of the sea, when they were united to Moses. They were in Moses. God considered somehow that, that them and Moses were one, right? They're united. They're in him. They're connected to him. And this explains kind of a really strange exchange that you can see in verse 15. So backing up before they cross the sea, people see the Egyptians coming. They're freaked out. They complain to Moses. Moses encourages the people by telling them to basically shut up and watch the salvation the Lord gives. <laughs> That's basically what he tells them. And so he, he does the right thing. They complain. He responds to them. But then look what happens in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to move forward. You're like, okay, what's up with that? Like Moses didn't complain. The people complained. Why did Moses get rebuked for it? Well, the reason is, is because Moses was united to the Israelites as their representative head. And so Moses was treated as if he had done what they did. He was treated as if he had been the complainer, right? Because they were in Moses. They were united to Moses. And of course, this is just a mild rebuke. But if you look on later in Exodus 32, you'll find that Moses actually volunteered to be permanently condemned for the sins of the people. That takes it up to a whole new level. In Exodus 32, this is after the golden calf incident. Um, It says, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book that you have written. Okay, what's he doing here? Moses is actually offering for himself to be blotted out of the book of life for his people, which is an amazing thing to be willing to do. You know, it's an amazing thing to say, you know what, I'll be condemned for them. Right. The Lord, of course, doesn't take him up on it there. But what Moses was willing to do, the greater Moses, Jesus Christ, really did do on the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ really was blotted out so that you can be forgiven. Isn't that amazing? The Exodus is a great picture of the gospel, guys. Um, It's only because the Israelites had the mediator, Moses, that they could pass through the water of God's wrath unhindered. 
The only reason that they could cross through the, the waters of God's wrath unhindered is because they were connected to a mediator. They were connected to Moses. Because, guys, they deserve to be swept into the waters of judgment of God's wrath just as much as the Egyptians, right? They could only pass because they had a mediator. And the same is true for you. On the cross, Jesus Christ drowned in the waters of God's wrath so that we could walk through on dry ground. On the cross, Jesus Christ drowned in the waters of God's wrath so that we could walk right through on dry ground. The, the Psalms actually describe God's wrath, God's judgment, as drowning in the sea. Check out these verses from um, Psalm 69. It's a psalm that we know is prophetic about Jesus, and there's parts in there that describe what he went through on the cross as if he's drowning in a sea of God's wrath. It says this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the floods sweep over me. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me, or the pit close its mouth over me. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. You guys remember that that's definitely prophetic about the cross. That actually happened um, on the cross in the Gospels. And Jesus called his time on the cross his baptism in Mark 10. He said that it was a baptism in judgment. On the cross, Jesus Christ drowned in the waters of God's wrath so that we could walk right through on dry ground. And guys, Jesus very intentionally stepped right into that collapsing sea of God's judgment for you. He very intentionally stepped right in. Egyptians didn't go in there intentionally to die. Jesus went very intentionally, stepped into the collapsing sea of God's judgment for you. So you could walk through unharmed. And believing and enjoying that exodus, that's what changes us. That's what changes us. When we're in a place where we feel like there's no way out, when we feel like we're in a place where, you know, we're, we're liable to give in to our, our old masters, when we feel trapped and surrounded, we feel like there's no way out. Guys, it's believing and enjoying the exodus that changes us. You know, it was believing in the exodus that actually changed the Old Testament believers. That was the way God changed believers in the Old Testament. Over and over again, the Lord motivated his people by reminding them of this event in Exodus 14. You guys remember how the Ten Commandments starts? Exodus 20 verse 2 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the first commandment. Isn't that amazing? Well, there's almost a therefore there, right? I delivered you. I gave you this great exodus. Therefore, here's how to respond to me. It was believing in God's grace in the exodus that made them want to obey his law. And guys, for us, joy and delight in God's grace is what changes us on the inside. It's, it's an explosion of that joy and, and that wonder and that awe that we have at looking in the cross. That's what propels us forward. That's what gives us the power to change. It's like an internal combustion engine, right? There's the spark and the little explosion, and then there's force given to move the car forward. Well, for us, if we need to move forward in following the Lord, it's that little spark and that explosion of joy and delight that we get in seeing what Jesus has done for us on the cross that propels us forward. 
It frees us from our former masters. It frees us from the fear of losing what they offer. And and guys, we have a greater exodus to look to than they did, don't we? We have the exodus that we have through Jesus Christ. Take a look at uh, Romans 6, an amazing passage in Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 1. I'll just read the first four verses, but it would totally be worth your while to read all of Romans 6. But it goes like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's a neat parallel here, guys, with the Exodus, because he says in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's almost like asking, What shall we do? Shall we fear and return to our old slave masters when they pursue us? What's the answer in verse 2? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? It's kind of like them saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember that you died to your old masters? Don't you remember that they died to you? I mean, you saw them on the shore dead, right? At the end of um, Exodus 14, he says, don't you remember? You died to them and they, they're dead to you. And then Romans 6, 3, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's just that reminder. You were baptized into Christ like they were baptized into Moses. You're united to Christ. You're connected to him such that his death is yours. Jesus died so that you could cross over on dry ground. Jesus died so you could be freed from your old life. And then verse 4, Romans 6 we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's just that reminder that you're united to Christ. So not only is his death yours, but his resurrection is yours. You've died to your old life as a slave on the west side of the sea. And you have a whole new life on the east side of the sea. Your old slave masters, they only have the power you give them. Your old slave masters only have the power you give them. We need to stop fearing them. We need to stop acting like they rule us. We need to trust in that greater exodus. And that's what baptism reminds us of. It reminds us of our union with Christ and our death to our old life and our raise to a new life. And that's what the Lord's Supper reminds us to as well. Because guys, we've crossed over. We crossed over the the Red Sea. We've crossed over from our old life to our new life. But we're not yet in the promised land, are we? And neither are they. We're not yet in the promised land. We have a bit of wandering to do. This life is like that wandering time in the wilderness as we're following the Lord to that new and real promised land. In the Lord's Supper, guys, God feeds us as he fed them with manna in the wilderness. Just as they were fed with man in the wilderness, he feeds us through the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit actually feeds us Christ through the bread that represents his body and the cup which represents his blood. As the Passover reminded people of that first exodus, the Lord's Supper reminds us of the greater exodus, our exodus, our freedom from sin and death and hell. And let's worship the Lord because what we see in Exodus 15 is this great time of worship. As, and what I would want for us and what the Lord wants for us, I'm sure, is that we would worship in the wilderness. That on our way, as we're headed to the promised land, that it would be a time of great worship. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, stay with us. Be our companion on the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken our hope that we may know you as you are revealed in the scripture and in the breaking of this bread. We pray that you would grant this for the sake of your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.